I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Welcome back to the show for a special bonus episode with my friend, hypnotherapist Rita Black. If you didn't listen to the episode she and I did together last spring and you like this, you'll want to go back and listen. Rita is kind of a big deal. She is in LA and has been a hypnotherapist dealing with smoking cessation as well as weight loss for over 20 years. And she has a few A-listers who brag that they were able to stop smoking in one session with Rita's process. And today's episode is not about smoking, it is about nighttime eating, but she and I dig deep into what makes the subconscious tick and how you can get around those patterns that are so deeply ingrained in your subconscious that no matter how hard you try and attempt to use willpower and come up with creative rules to manipulate your subconscious, you still find yourself stuck back in the same patterns of eating. And she breaks all of that down for us today. And whether you're stuck in a cycle of nighttime eating or not, this episode is a deep dive into the bigger picture of habit change, whether it be eating or drinking or shopping or continuing to go back into the same relationship cycles that you're trying to break. She and I dive deep into how the subconscious gets programmed and that the key to changing subconscious patterns is to, first of all, step outside and see the patterns. But then you can't just break a habit. You have to create a new habit. And that actually starts with building a new identity. You have to go all the way into the place where you see yourself and identifying as somebody who can't control your drinking or can't control your eating or whatever else it is that seems bigger than you are, identifying in that way just creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that the key is to adopt a new identity so that you can align your behaviors with new thoughts that lead you forward. Rita's suggestion in this episode is brilliant. It's identifying as a person who fasts from after dinner to breakfast. And she explains exactly how to implement that identity and how to work with it. She gives tools that are just awesome, such as mental rehearsal, setting intentions. So this episode is a must listen if you are dealing with nighttime eating. And then also the purpose of me releasing this midweek as special bonus episode is because she has a free masterclass coming up on how to break these cycles once and for all in a deep dive, not just a podcast episode, but a full masterclass where she does some light hypnosis and really educates you on the full big picture of what you're going to need to do if you want to break these cycles for good. 
So the link to that masterclass, which is on September 19th, is in the show notes. And then also, I'm going to say this on faith because in the time that I'm recording this, it is not done. But I also have a new masterclass that should be up with a link um, when you get this. And that is for how to stop over drinking without getting sober. So if you are struggling with over drinking or feeling trapped in lifelong sobriety because you see yourself as an alcoholic or a sober alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic or whatever, this masterclass is I'm was me teaching you exactly how it's possible to enjoy yourself sober because you see it as a choice and furthermore, how to enjoy drinking without worrying about losing control. You guys, I have been working so hard on this masterclass and I'm so proud of it. So if you are interested in that, get in the show notes and register for that. Uh, There are various uh, show times, if you will. So just click the link and sign up for the time that works for you. So you've got lots of options here, but before you worry about any of that, just sit back and enjoy the episode with my friend Rita Black. Rita, I am so glad to have you back on the podcast today. Our last episode did really well, and I got such great feedback of my listeners who want to learn more about uh, hypnosis and how that can help with all sorts of behaviors, but specifically with weight loss, especially, and I think we're going to do nighttime eating today, so you agreed to come back. Would you just remind the listeners who you are, what you do, and how you do it? (laughs) I would love to. And thank you for having me back, Colleen. It's always great one to see you and to chat with you. You're so smart. I am a clinical hypnotherapist. I've been helping people really use their minds more effectively in the areas of smoking cessation and weight management. I help people stop smoking in one session. I help people really break free from what I call the weight struggle cycle that on again, off again, on again, off again cycle that most people who struggle with their weight fall into. It's almost an epidemic. And I do have online courses as well that help people move through this that makes it affordable. Hypnosis is for those of you who have been curious about hypnosis, but aren't quite sure what it is. It's a relaxed mind technique that allows really rapid transformational change by accessing the subconscious mind. It isn't mind control, but it's a way to access the subconscious mind in a relaxed way, make suggestions, make shifts that allow the whole hundred percent of the mind to take on that change versus really what usually when we're trying to make a change, only 12% of our mind is actually engaged. What I would call the conscious rational mind. So, so basically that in a nutshell is what I do is I just help people make those two changes. Because for me, I was somebody who was a pack and a half a day smoker. I was somebody who struggled with my weight up and down the scale, 40 pounds for over 20 years. I was a binge eater, a a carboholic, a just a Leo dieter extraordinaire. Uh, And then I stopped smoking with hypnosis in one session. It blew my mind. And I was like, wow, maybe I can use this because what happened to me during a session wasn't, oh, I blanked out and I woke up and I was like, I used to smoke. It wasn't like that, but it was more, I shifted how I saw myself. And I think Colleen, you and I are on the same page 
when it comes to transformation, as far as all transformation starts with how you see yourself and your identity and what your, you know, and then your commitment from there, if you would. Yeah. The self-identity, I think like with drinkers, just shifting from untangling your identity from being a drinker to just being a person, doesn't matter what's in your glass is such a powerful thing. But I also know that trying to force that, like we can think that. And one one tool or rule that I use when I teach is that you cannot do efficient mindset work on a dysregulated nervous system. Mm, so can you sure. talk about how hypnosis taps into the nervous system to get the relaxed mind state? And how is it different from other tools to regulate the nervous system? I would say that one thing, hypnosis is a relaxation technique. And when you use it repeatedly, it is engaging your mind and your mindset and putting you out of what I would say, probably a lot of times we're in fight or flight mode or extreme stress. And I believe by using shifting beliefs, by shifting the way you see yourself and perceive yourself, that is absolutely helping the central nervous system. In and of itself, hypnosis is people report and people who go through my processes report like like feeling more calm, more at peace, more relaxed, because I think they're more aligned with themselves. The physiology is just really in the relaxation process itself. I hope I'm like answering your question or it it was, were you looking for something more like physiologically based, like deep breathing Um, or? Not necessarily. I guess I have a perception that hypnosis is something that, that shortens the, the distance between point A and point B, in that you're able to make a bigger shift faster versus I know for myself, I am able to, I know how to reprogram my subconscious mind by immersing myself in the topic. Sometimes I get lucky and it's a split second, brilliant moment where I'm able to make the shift and go back. But other times it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of hard work and effort And so it seems to me that hypnosis is a little bit of an easy button on some things, but I, so I just kind of want to know how you're able to make such big shifts with hypnosis in regards to the nervous system. How do you do that? Right. So I'm going to just say to what you were saying, that swift point between A and B and how I approach transformation is I think some people get this perception that you can go in and get hypnotized and get a change really quickly. And that can be true when the person truly wants the change. I think hypnosis is a tool like many tools that let me give you the, let me answer your question and then get a little more deep because I think a lot of people think of hypnosis as something that's done to you rather than it's an experience that you is created where you come to the session with wanting, believing, and truly expecting the change, and then the change can occur. So your brain has to be prepared to a certain degree. And that's why 
you know, the way I prepare people for success. Cause a lot of people have come to me and said, oh, hypnosis didn't work for me, but it wasn't necessarily just the tool itself, but how somebody is preparing you, how you are going through it. I'm just going to give you like the easy lowdown. So 12% of your mind is the critical analytical willpower. Let's say part of your mind. That's the part of the mind that wants whatever change to stop drinking, to lose weight, to stop smoking, to not procrastinate anymore, to have more confidence, whatever the change is. And then the other 88% kind of wants things to stay exactly as they are, right? And that's your subconscious mind. That's your identity. That's your memories. That's your beliefs. That's your habits. That's even the part of the brain that protects you is all really in your subconscious mind. And from birth and tour in our 20s, everything that happens to us, like you're talking about central nervous system, your entire central nervous system is trained. You're, you're like imprinted from the time you're born until you're in your 20s, everything, your parents, teachers, life experiences happening to you, your brain kind of takes all this information and it's coded, right? You get coded with all these beliefs, your culture, what the media is saying. And then somewhere in our 20s, that we start to formulate what is called a critical filter. And the critical filter acts like sort of a, a buffer or defense system for our subconscious, because let's think about that. If we go into the rest of our life, an open book for any messaging to come our way, we probably would, we would flip flop between religions. We would have the morals that we were taught in our youth. Like a lot of those things are protected by this critical filter system, which is taking the millions and billions bits of information that are coming in through all our sensories, sensory faculties and making decisions in quicker than a split second about that is not needed to me. That is not needed to me. That is not needed to me. So if, for instance, if anybody has made a commitment to do something like maybe you decide to get pregnant up until then, you probably didn't think about babies or fertility or anything, but then all of a sudden you make that decision. Your sense, your mind is starting to pick up on all, like it filters out all that white noise. And you're now seeing pregnant women. You're now seeing baby carriages. You're now seeing your brain has this amazing ability to focus in on things, but it also has this amazing ability to focus out. So when we go on a diet, for instance, like many people struggle with weight, but they know exactly what to do to lose weight, right? Like most of my clients who come to me have been dieting for years. They know more than their doctors do about nutrition and food. Like doctors get a half a day training in nutrition. So most of my clients are, could write their own New York Times bestselling diet book and have people lose weight. Lack of information is not the issue. But what has happened is they have a critical filter that is now filtering out and, you know, they have a belief system that like food tastes good when I feel bad. You know, my, I have a family who's overweight, so I'm never going to be thin. I failed 20 times before I'm a failure. And then habits like night eating or eating chocolate in the afternoon or emotional eating, these types of patterns then become wired into the brain and the brain then wants it repeated over again, just like it's sim similar to drinking. Like once the dopamine center and uh, an addictive substance, even like sugar get involved, then the brain wants that pattern repeated. And no matter what your conscious mind is like saying, I don't want to eat sugar today, 
the subconscious mind is like, sugar tastes good when I feel bad. And it's a reward and all these things come into play. So hypnosis in the state of hypnosis, that critical factor, a faculty or filter, however you want to call it, it could be either called the faculty or the filter is relaxed so that that messaging can pass between the conscious and the subconscious much more readily. Now, when people say hypnosis didn't work for me, it could be a number of reasons. One main reason is the person didn't really want the change. Maybe somebody, uh, I get called all the time by husbands or wives who are like, my husband is a pack a day smoker and you're going to, you're great. So you're going to help him quit smoking. I was like, does he want to quit smoking? And they're like, no, but you're going to make him. And I was like, nope, he's got to really want that change. And even with weight loss, it's very fascinating. And maybe you see the same thing with drinking is that people want to lose weight, but we get so conditioned to not want to be fat or feel overweight. That is a very painful place to be. But the actual journey of really committing to changing your life and being having long-term permanent weight management, it's a different thing. So when I work with people, I'm like, we're going on a journey here. This is a this isn't about getting it off as fast as you can, although like it, you can get accelerated transformation when you're using your mind in the right way. But you've got to create the context as well. And you've got to create the belief in your ability. So why for me, identity is key is like when I work with people and when I was going to talk about night eating, even night eating, we get in, we'll say, oh, I'm an overeater. I'm a binge eater. I eat at night. And that's kind of an identity. So we've pigeonholed ourselves into this idea of ourselves. So what I recommend is to start to shift that identity out of, instead of like this idea of I'm not going to eat at night, it's I'm going to be a student or I'm going to be an apprentice of fasting after dinner. Like I'm going to, I'm going to step into being this different identity, or I'm going to be somebody who eats a snack at nine, but otherwise abstains from eating so that we're stepping into, and we might not it might not happen overnight, but what we're doing is repeatedly coming at it from this other place, which isn't was which isn't taking away something, but creating something new. And our mind always loves adventure and shifting identity is kind of an adventure. You're stepping into this new, this, I call it the house, right? Like you're shifting one house, like the house of smoking or the house of weight struggle into the house of weight mastery and you're stepping into sort of like a mastery identity. Same thing with drinking. It's like a, you're mastering something and you're stepping into this new idea of yourself as somebody who, I, I don't know what your terminology is exactly Colleen, but you know, when you start from that place, then you can start to believe in yourself. You can start to say, Oh, okay. I'm a student. I'm learning and learners can make mistakes. It's not this black and white, like, having to be perfect, which then that perfectionism. And I think probably a lot of your people are perfectionists as well is like when we get stuck in that all or nothing, then we blow it and are like, screw it. Then I'm just going to eat everything and start again tomorrow. And we never learn and never make the, the changes that are needed. Yeah. Learning how to respond differently to that failure or that setback as 
with the growth mindset, instead of seeing the situation as proof that you couldn't do it and having an intention and a vision for who you are, because I, I, I know from my personal experience, and I want to get into the night eating. And one of the things I want you to do is be very specific about what that means, because somebody like myself, I, my problem was I would eat at in the evening. Like I, so I'm not clear about if not what you mean by night eating. All I know is in early sobriety, I had some pretty big sugar cravings and I really struggled at night. But to your point, I was trying to control my behavior because I didn't want to put on weight. So I didn't have weight to lose. I was kind of gaining weight in sobriety and that's not cool. But I, it wasn't until I realized the problem is not sitting on the couch watching TV and having the willpower to not get the granola. The, that what it is, I need a new vision for what I do at night and sitting on the couch watching TV is actually the problem that's, that's putting me in this agitated, bored, distracted. I'm on my phone, I'm watching the TV. So it wasn't the granola, you know, but I do want to get in for my listeners into the night eating, but I want you to start with would you have defined what I just described as night eating? Absolutely. There's, I, I feel like there's a few different types of night eating. So I'm glad you asked that question. For some people, their biggest challenge is when they come home from work at night, right? And I would consider that anything after 5 p.m. as night eating. So their biggest problem might be pouring that glass of wine and eating the sleeve of crackers as they're making dinner because they're so starved. And that might be a pattern that is a challenge for them. Or if they're sober, then having the soda and the crackers or the whatever, they're coming home and their blood sugar is low and they're just eating or binging before. Then there's people who overeat at dinner time, like that just like their pattern is to sit down to dinner or to order out, for instance, like to get takeaway or something like that, or take out and sit down in front of the TV and then just eat the entire thing, not paying attention to their cutoff point or their actual body's physical needs because they're so absorbed in what they're watching. They're not even paying attention to that, or they're emotionally eating and just eating past the point of being full. And then there's people who might eat a healthy dinner or not so healthy dinner, but then they have gotten into, and this is probably the majority of people, a pattern of eating at night. And a lot of times these are patterns, right? They aren't just, oh, I'm hungry tonight. But like you mentioned, like you sat down and then some, your brain expected a pattern to occur, which would be like, go to the cupboard, get the granola, come sit down, do that, eat that. Then maybe you didn't do this, but a lot of people do patterns of three. So they'll have the granola and then they'll make some popcorn and then maybe they'll have, they'll finish it off with some ice cream or something. So there's for sure. I qualify as a pattern of three. I've never heard of a pattern of three. Yeah. It's so I mean, I have another context, but yeah. And it's, Oh, and it usually is like salty, crunchy, uh, salty, sweet, salty, or sweet, salty, sweet, because the brain does this weird thing. And it's, if it's signaling salt, it will signal a need for sweet. So it's not like you, this is happening to you. There's a problem with you. It's just a brain thing. And then what happens is, and as you know, because you're well aware of dopamine is that once 
that pattern is established, the brain, like you said, you would get agitated. The brain will agitate you to do that thing, whether it's before dinner or keep eating or finish your plate or have that every time. And that your brain now associates that granola with relaxation, right? Like it's saying granola equals relaxation, even though it doesn't, your brain has made that association. It's like the same with smoking. Smokers smoke in patterns for the most part that get set. And then if they smoke two cigarettes at lunch, the brain actually expects those two cigarettes. So it becomes sort of a job, like you're not eating or even drinking, right? Drinking most happens in patterns. Like if you pour three glasses of wine at night, then maybe you do. And I know that's a, it's a progressive thing or it can be progressive. So maybe it progresses to more, but whatever that pattern is that at least gets established, the brain kind of wants it repeated over again. So you're absolutely right. The main challenge though, is that when we're, we have a night eating pattern, we make ourselves bad and wrong about it. But the main challenge is this, is that everybody, most people who struggle with weight, and I'm not going to put everybody into a pattern, but what, from what I have seen over the 20 plus years that I've worked with people and I've kept my weight off for now, cause I'm turning 59 this Sunday for 28 years, I've kept my 40 pounds off, which is like a miracle to me. But anyway, is that when we struggle with our weight, most of the time our day is pretty structured and most people will say, I don't have a problem with breakfast and lunch, but where my challenge mm-hmm. starts to come is four o'clock. It's that afternoon time or that before dinner time or that after dinner time. Right. Be- and there's some reasons for that. One of them is that we don't, uh, we, our willpower is a resource, right? And over the course of our day, all of our decision-making, and I know if you're a highly functioning person, which probably most of you are, you're making a lot of decisions over the course of your day. You get up, you get your kids to off to do things and you're not just making decisions, but your brain is getting stimulated, right? So you're, you think of your brain as an entity that's getting stimulated from the moment you wake up. But during the day, you are structured. You have things to do this, then do that, then do this, then do that. And you're stimulating that brain and making decisions. So by the time you get to four o'clock, your brain I, or five o'clock, your, your willpower is pretty much spent, right? You are not, your impulse control has been diminished significantly. So if you think about that, and then you think about the fact that you come home and all of that structure is kind of now done for the day. Yes, maybe you make dinner and do that, but then it's this open, the wild west of free time watching Netflix or taking a bath or something, but it's not the structure that you had during your day. So your brain is kind of all of a sudden without impulse control and without any sort of here's this, here's that other than the, maybe the structure of your eating, right? So there's no other structure going on other than the structure of your eating. So this is why a lot of people struggle at night is because there is no, I have a saying we would all be thin if we all went to bed at five o'clock and, and because so much. (laughs) And if our moms lived with us and made us go to bed, I need my mom to be like, kitchen's closed. Get out of here. Kitchen is closed. 
Exactly. Yeah, if I lived with my mom, it would be no trouble. Yes, exactly. So that is one of the things. Now, and the other thing is, and I know you're very well of this, Colleen, is our blood sugar has tanked because a lot of people underfeed themselves earlier in the day. And so they come home and they're starving. And again, the first thing they're usually putting in their mouth is a carbohydrate or alcohol or something that's going to spike the blood sugar. It's going to drop and we're going to feel like a bottomless tank. And we are just going to want to continue that feeding frenzy because we aren't, we are not stabilizing and nourishing ourselves appropriately. I struggled with bulimia for almost 20 years. And so Mm -hmm. the word feeding frenzy really resonates. That's kind of what it felt like. Like I just didn't have any control and I would just eat all of it. And then I'd reach a point where I'm like, I might as well eat all of it because I'm going to eat all of it. So let's just get this over with. And then for me, it would lead to a purge. Mm -hmm. Um, But it feels so out of control. And to your point, it all makes perfect sense, but we work so hard inside coloring in the lines all day long and having all that structure. And we just want to relax. And then it feels such, it's so self-defeating to realize, I used to say the words, I just need a babysitter. Like I can't structure myself and enjoy myself alone. And so it's really disheartening when you're stuck in that cycle where you do work all day and you give, and then you finally relax. And then now your hands are shoving food down your throat. Come on, what do you do? So talk which to is, us. which is not relaxing ultimately, but our brain thinks it's relaxing. And the duality is that not, so our brain is okay. I deserve this reward. I deserve it. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter of desire, right? And it is that desire agitated feeling is powerful. The moment we get what we want, haven't you noticed, we go into a different mode, which is the here and now mode, which isn't as fun. But what happens is then we tune out and then we're just eating or drinking or doing the whatever. But the like the fun that our desire brain said, oh, it's going to be so great when you have that thing and you're going to feel so relaxed and it's going to be so amazing. It isn't. But our brain is a very good convincer. So I think it's also understanding and learning those different parts. It's of ourselves. Like you said, there is the childlike part of us, but then there's also the, of what I like to call your like nurturing inner coach or that part of you that like can set the boundaries and then you can play within the boundaries, but we have to kind of first understand ourselves and understand what patterns we have. And I think it's hard to Uh, we just want to be better. We just want to be, we just don't want to have the problem, but acknowledging like, oh, I have this pattern and this pattern isn't my fault. Like it's not, I'm not the problem, but there is this pattern. So now how do I break this pattern and how do I shift out of that? And a lot of times the way people try to do it is by not doing the pattern and you can't, go at it that way because the brain doesn't understand can't or don't or not, you know, it understands like what you were saying. I have to create something new. I have to create a new structure. I have to create a new idea because the brain doesn't like stuff taken away from it. 
but it does love adventure and creating something new. So with regards to night eating, as I had already mentioned, as we've already talked about, I would introduce to you all listening, if you're struggling with night eating, is to start to create what you would consider a new night eating identity. And for a lot of people, that means food free. I like the word free because it means freedom. And I have a term that I use for myself because I was a huge, like you, Colleen, a huge television binge eater, like watching. And I was bulimic as well in my 20s. But I have a term, a mantra that I say, food free in front of the TV. Like for me, I am not a person who eats in front of the TV. And I created that identity by really creating it. Like I stepped into that identity and began to own that identity. I'm somebody who, once I finish dinner, I fast from dinner until the time I eat in the, the following morning. And the interesting thing is fasting is active versus passive. Trying not to eat is completely different than fasting because fasting is something that you are doing. You are actively fasting. You can define what fasting means to you. Maybe you drink herbal tea and maybe you can define the times you fast. Like I have clients who will finish their dinner, fast for an hour then have a treat, like a, some sort of thing that they're going to have. And then they fast again until breakfast, but they're creating these sort of guardrails on the road that, that are like from here to here, I'm food free. What that does is it starts to work differently with your dopamine. What that does is it says to the brain being free here means something to me. And it's a higher level feeling than um, eating the, the granola after dinner. The other thing I was going to say is like that dual edged sword of the desire. Plus when you're agitated and you eat the thing or drink the thing, you get relief from that agitation and the brain associates that as relaxation, right? So if you get up, if you have that agitated feeling like you're fighting that you're sitting and watching Netflix and your brain is like popcorn. No, I'm not going to eat popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. No, I can't eat popcorn. I said, I wouldn't eat popcorn popcorn, popcorn, and you get up and you go and grab the damn popcorn and you put it in the microwave. And as it's popping, you begin to feel relief because you're going to get that thing. You haven't put the popcorn in your mouth. You haven't tasted it, but you're beginning to feel that, oh, popcorn. And then when you eat that first couple of bites of popcorn, you feel like, ah, oh, because you've gotten that thing that you wanted. It's not about that. After three bites of any food, our mouth experience goes from 90% down to 20%. And from TV eating, you don't even experience that food until the package is empty or the bowl is empty or the whatever. It was like, oh, I just ate that thing. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That's such a disappointing feeling. Oh my God, I ate the whole bowl of ice cream and I didn't even experience it. Like it's so defeating. So really establishing who you are and establishing a, a, what you're going to do. And, and like you said, Colleen, you're going to say, what are my nights going to be about? Why am I always in the kitchen eating when TV is going on? Maybe TV is boring for me. Maybe it's really just not doing it for me. Or maybe I need something a little more at night that's fulfilling. I do watch Netflix, but I broke that pattern by doing other things in the evening. And then I, and back then there was no Netflix because I went through my transformation 
in the 90s, but there was really bad TV going on then, that's for sure. <laughs> I kind of remember the 90s as good TV. That was back when appointment TV was happening. And I would be Thursday nights, the thir- NBC lineup with the Friends and the Frasier and ER. I was in and down. I definitely learned just like anything with drinking, if you start paying attention, I really enjoy watching a show, but I time out at about two hours. Mm. So to me, watching Netflix can be self-care. And then if I sit there too long and I'm not listening to my body, then I start getting agitated. Then I'm on my phone. I'm not really paying attention to the show because when you really think about it, would you sit in a in school for two hours and sit there? Our bodies need to move. And so I just kind of went higher level and realized I can do anything I want as long as I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And as long as I'm paying attention to the experience and not judging the experience out there, like Netflix is good or bad or fine or okay, or I earned it, I get to sit here, but actually how my body is experiencing it, I can enjoy as much TV as I want to. And then I just turn it off when I'm not enjoying it anymore. And that has really been an effective, not to say I'm perfect, but I'll sit down and say, okay, I'm going to watch the show. I'm going to do two episodes. That's the other thing is I always sit down. Somebody's recommended a show. Like I'm excited about it. I don't just sit there in front of the TV. And sometimes I'll just say, okay, I only have an hour. I'm going to watch trailers to see what I want to watch on Friday. And I'm just going to go through everything and make a list. So I less is more for me. I really love TV time, but I can only do about two hours and then I'm not enjoying it. You're tapped out. I get it. That makes about that makes sense to me. And they've done cognitive studies and they've seen every couple of hours our brain needs a brain break. And so it kind of fits in with this idea of stimulation. Like you get X amount of stimulation in front of Netflix and then your brain is probably a little, oh, okay, we're full now. We don't need any more of that. Let's shift into a different gear. That totally makes sense to me. So one thing I would say, if you were gonna start shifting your nighttime patterns is to practice it in your mind. So one of the things that I do in my processes, especially the weight management one, is to leverage dopamine and leverage our resource center of willpower by when I wake up in the morning using a meditation, like doing a morning meditation that is focused on the evening, like really thinking the evening through in the beginning, how like with athletes, if they were injured, but they still practiced the game in their mind, they like research shows that they did as well as the people who had actually physically practiced. So our minds are very powerful. So if you are going to do a new pattern in the evening, it makes sense that in the morning you practice that pattern. Imagine yourself coming home, maybe putting your shoes on and going out for a walk. If you're used to coming in and pouring something and eating refined carbs like crackers or something like that while you're making dinner, maybe go for a walk or maybe visualize yourself pouring a glass of water and making something healthy to eat or to even my biggest, something that is really huge for most people that I tell them to do even before they come home at night, or I know a lot of us work from home now 
is to around four o'clock in the afternoon, eat some protein. Most people are eating carbs at that time, but eat a solid quality protein because that will stabilize you and really help any food decisions the rest of the evening. It, it, and it, it, people are just like, wow, eating at four o'clock, protein has changed my life. It really does. It be, there's Protein is very satiating and it does, it can be vegetarian protein. It can be uh, meat protein. It can be anything you choose, but opting for that rather than, especially a naked carb, a carb on an empty stomach, which then is going to spike your blood sugar and make you feel hungrier and make you want to eat more granola. But anyway, going back to the practicing in the morning, the, the, what you want to do and how you see yourself. So you could imagine this is the way I would do it is visualize seeing yourself like you were in a movie going through your evening and then do it again, hit rewind on the movie screen and then step into the movie screen, really seeing yourself being in the getting up from the dinner table, going to take a hot bath versus going to get the granola out of the cupboard or sitting in front of the, like whatever you sort of had planned for yourself, visualize it and then go through it a couple of times. That will just really help your brain. It's going to, because once you get to five o'clock, seven o'clock, wherever your pattern starts, the train has already left the station. So really having an intention, having it practiced out ahead of time is going to, one, also when you visualize yourself going to bed that night, feeling good, feeling light, feeling like you really showed up for yourself and made the healthy choices, that's leveraging your dopamine because you're saying, hey, brain, when we do, that's going to feel awesome. And so the brain will start to perceive those actions in a different way than trying not to eat, which does not, it seems like a big killjoy to the brain. Does that make sense, Colleen? Yeah, it does. And I just want to affirm that what you're saying for anybody listening who's, are you freaking kidding me? I'm supposed to get up in the morning and mentally rehearse the evening. And I just want to affirm that it does work. I don't know how it works or why it works, but setting the intention and being very clear and mentally rehearsing really does work. My question for you, because somebody listening might be listening to me talking about eating my face off and puking for 20 years and then <laughs> drinking the rest of it. And right. listening to you, you've managed to keep the 40 pounds off for 28 years. Neither one of us get up and do mental rehearsal in terms of this, because it is something that we have overcome. Can you talk right. about expectations for how long is the process, how long you struggled? How, I feel like I struggle and then I somehow it's like a speed, the last speed bump on the cul-de-sac or something. And then suddenly I'm home free. I use the tool and then I look back and it's been a month since I've done it, but I haven't needed it. Can you speak to the expectations of the process? Yeah, I think it really depends on how ingrained the habit is. And I, I know Colleen, you're right that I'm not getting up and mentally rehearsing my evenings anymore, but Anytime that I want to make a change and there, in order to maintain my weight for 28 years, I've had to change habits. Like I haven't, it wasn't just lose the weight, get there and keep it off. I went through 
having two children after I had lost my weight. I went through mourning the loss of both my parents. I went through menopause. I went through a lot of things where each time bad habits slipped in and I had to recognize the habit, make those changes. And every day I do wake up and do a morning meditation and it's not around weight all the time. Most of the time it's not. It's about, I run a business. It's about business. It's about motherhood. It's about all the things that matter to me. I have found that waking up and using that kind of half hour of time between waking and getting up as a time to really set intentions and to be mindful about like where I am in my life has made my life so rich and has helped me overcome so many mental obstacles, which continue to come up. We think, oh, we're going to lose the weight or quit drinking and life is going to get better. It does, but we still have a brain that is negativity biased, right? Like we are always waking up into a brain that has, you know, because primally we were wired to watch out for the lions and tigers and bears and our brain is still wired that way. So we're going to still be negativity. Like we're still going to have, what if this happens and what if that happens? And we wake up into that a lot of times. So I find that having those morning meditations to either listen to, because I will record myself setting gratitude and setting things to do. And that is something that you could do for yourself is just to write down what you would like to do in the evening, record it on your phone, and then uh, go to YouTube, play a meditation tape, just say, I am going to come home. I am going to put my shoes on and I'm going to go out and walk and I am going to turn off the TV at eight and stretch and whatever you it is that you want to do. It actually really does help. And sometimes it's easier to do than actually just laying there and trying to visualize it. So that might be something that you do try to do. And Colleen, I'm sorry, I totally went off on a tangent, but what you, and, and I completely, this is what my 59 year old brain does. I forgot what the original fine. was. So I don't know. My 50 year old brain doesn't remember where we left. We got lost. I didn't know uh, we were okay. lost. But as far as meditations in the morning and, oh, expectations of time frame. It does depend, but I get where you're coming at is I'm not a Pollyanna here saying, just do that a couple of times and it's all going to go away. It's yeah, it, you are probably going to do some trial and error and trial and error. And that's why it's important to see yourself on a journey as a learner and not as somebody who's, I'm not not eating anymore, but you know, so I'm an apprentice of really owning my night and creating a healthy and powerful evening that revitalizes me, yeah. relaxes me without me yeah. overeating. That takes Yeah, time. it may also, the mental rehearsal probably slowly fades when the memory of last night is the mental rehearsal for tonight. So it's Thank probably you. just however long it takes to create the new habit and just to speak to self-identity, my new favorite way to identify is somebody who knows how to change my habits. So mm. I'm currently using mental rehearsal to work out and I'm doing mental bicep curls because to be fair, I did read that thinking about doing bicep curls can gain you like 72% of the strength or something if you're what? actually like really thinking I about it. it. But 
I know, right? Like you can build muscle. This mental rehearsal tool is no joke, people that are listening. And so what I do is if I don't want to go to the basement where my gym is, then I'm like, that's fine. Just sit here. I'm still going to spend the time so I can either mental rehearsal. And then usually I'm a minute or two into it. I'm like, just go downstairs. So this visualizing yourself as you want to be. And for me, where I struggle, like I live in the lake at the summer, not in the lake, I live at the lake. (laughs) And then I come home and when I travel or when I move like that, it re-entry, it's like an opportunity to create all new patterns. And so I'm really aware of that opportunity. And a lot of times I'll get a few days into being home and I'm hot mess party one, don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, wait, what am I doing tonight? What does my relaxation look like? What is all of this? What do I want my evenings to look like? So what I love is that over time, my ability to shift my patterns by deciding what I want and focusing on what I'm doing as opposed to what I'm not doing is that I love identifying like that. Yeah. I got powerful. it. You know, it really power. is. And our brain yeah. loves to do it. That's the best thing is it just thinks it's the funnest thing and it's an adventure. It's not hard. It's, it, it is, we just have to, you can see like a lot of what we're talking about today, it takes mindfulness, but it's something that your brain does naturally. And it's so good at it. It can be very powerful. Uh, But, you know, but unfortunately our brain also can be negativity biased. um, And it, you know, it also falls into patterns, but that's not your fault. Uh, But, you know, you have to then take a look at what you want to change and say, I'm going to take responsibility for this because I'm sure you are talking about taking responsibility all the time, Colleen. It's just, we have to start to take ownership of what's going on without shaming ourselves. Being a night eater is nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a pattern. And I think we get into this whole shaming ourselves and I have no willpower and I'm a failure and it's just, no, but there is this pattern, but you can just start by forgiving yourself, owning yourself and saying, I can do this. I love that identity you gave yourself. Like I am somebody who changes habits. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at one of my other favorite sayings, and you can use a couple of different things for this, but if you're not actively managing your brain, then it's managing you. And I to speak that. to you, like we're all humans, we're animals. Like we train our dogs. If my just what you were saying, if my dog keeps begging and then I finally give in, guess what I just did? I just trained my dog to beg for 10 minutes instead of five. And if we understand that we've got a human body and a human brain, it's not personal, but with our superhuman ability as humans to use consciousness and to use free will. So I think of it as if I'm not managing my brain or my nervous system or my emotions, like insert whatever you want, if I'm not managing my brain, it is managing me. And if I'm struggled, I'm being managed by a subconscious and my job, my responsibility, my ability, my response ability is to go reprogram it with intention and change it. And it isn't hard. It's hard to live and feel like you're out of control. That's hard. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Something else I'm just going to throw in there for the night eating is to come up with a mantra for yourself. 
I, because I do think mantras help you in those moments where you're feeling weak or that the desire, if I have a mantra, I am food free in front of the TV. And if I think about food, which I might, because I fast after dinner, I get hungry, a little hungry before I go to bed. And I'm like, oh, it would be, I could have a little snicky snack, my husband's snacks. So he'll go in the kitchen after we're done with TV. And I'm like, no, I'm a person who goes to bed and I fasted for X amount of hours or I've been food free since dinner. But I, when those thoughts come up, my mantra comes up too. And it just, it reminds me who I am. And I get a little shot of dopamine for reminding myself like that's who I am. And, and it is a very reinforcing. So having a mantra that, that helps you, whatever that might be, people are very clever. Your brain will come up with something. If you ask, you can borrow mine, but there's lots of mantras. You could probably go on chat GPT and say, what are some mantras that I could use in the evening for night eating? And I'm sure chat GPT would come up with a million of them for you, but you know, that having that little momentarily, just that little mantra that just reminds you who you are, what you are. When I work with smokers, I give them this mantra in our hypnosis sessions. I am now a non-smoker and I will be a non-smoker for the rest of my life. Just to be clear, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of my life, because the brain knows. Isn't it interesting? Smokers who like, for instance, got pregnant and because it's kind of not an option to smoke. Some people smoke when they're pregnant and, but a lot of people go, oh, it's frowned upon. It's yeah. But in their mind, they're like, I'm not, I've got a living being inside of me. I'm not going to smoke. Once breastfeeding is done, the brain will start bugging them again for a cigarette, even though they haven't been smoking for a very long time. So being clear on timelines too, I think is yeah. very helpful. Although I do also know with working with addictive substances, it does help to take it just a day at a time, but the having that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how hard you promise, uh, nothing is forever. But also what you said is conditioning, you're setting conditions on the not smoking and the whole why of doing it is for the baby. Wonderful reason. And the idea that you don't have a living being inside of you is false because the baby's born, but you're still a living being. But you know, I quit smoking after I was pregnant and never went back. So whatever gets you through the door, just go with that. But so talk to me, is, is that it for night eating? For the most part. Tell our listeners, you've got a free, is it a webinar? I'm doing a live masterclass coming up and it's on September 19th from two timeframes, 9 a.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Pacific. And it's called how to break through the weight struggle cycle and begin releasing weight for good. And so what we're really going to get into is more deeply the, what I consider like the three major roadblocks or sabotage points that most people struggle with when they're trying to get consistency with weight. Cause I've already established that most people who struggle with their weight know how to lose weight. So that's not the problem. What we're looking at is like, why do we get off track? What causes that from a subconscious level? And then we're also going to be doing some hypnosis 
for weight management. And the this hypnosis session is phenomenal. It's great. I love this and people love the session very much. And so you're going to leave the class feeling like you have a lot more clarity on how to use your mind effectively. Like we've gone through some things today and you've talked about things today. It's just, it's really about you're either working with your mind or you're working against your mind. And there are very clear ways that you can work with your mind to break free from what I consider an epidemic, which is the start over tomorrow. I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. Weight struggle cycle, which is very fattening. It's way more fattening than just eating the pizza and just getting on with it. But I, I hope you'll come. It's absolutely free and we have a good time. It's, it's a lot of fun. I will put that in the show notes and that'll be a link to your shift weight mastery masterclass. And then you have a podcast too, right? I do. It's called the, it's called thin thinking. So if you want that, it's again, it's just more mindset tools for managing your weight and your relationship with yourself. It's really good. When I first met you, I went and found it. And even though I don't struggle with weight, I love mindset stuff and I can't really get enough of that. And I was really impressed with your podcast. So listeners, oh, you'll you want to go subscribe to Rita's Thin Thinking. That's mm -hmm. what it's called. Thin okay. Thinking. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here today, Rita. Gosh, this was great, Colleen. Thank you for having me on. All right. That's it for our bonus episode. Thank you so much for coming back and uh, listening again this week. Get in the show notes if you want to sign up for either Rita's weight loss mastery uh, program, her free masterclass, or if you are interested in taking a big step and looking at taking a break from drinking so that you can learn how to enjoy yourself sober so that you actually have a choice whether or not to drink. Because, you know, how can you expect to ever be happy and feel free if you feel like you have to drink, even though you'd prefer to take the night off or stay sober, or vice versa, feel like you have to stay sober when you'd rather be able to have and enjoy a drink? You know, that's not a choice. That's a hostage negotiation. And my masterclass on how to stop over drinking without getting sober will answer all of your questions and give you clarity on what action steps you can take to break this cycle. And spoiler alert, it also has to do with changing your identity. So get in the show notes for either Rita or my masterclass. And then if you haven't yet hit the subscribe button, I would really appreciate that. When you subscribe to my show, whether you listen to it or not, I get credit for the downloads. And that really helps my podcast grow so that when people are searching for podcasts like mine, you know, everybody needs to know that they have a choice about how to handle the drinking problem. You know, because when I first realized I had a problem and I was ready to do something about it, I just went straight to AA because we just don't know that there's more options out there, right? And so whether or not you share this personally with your friends, if you subscribe, you are voting for my podcast. And that tells Google that more and more people want to listen to it and it will continue to show those um, show my episodes and search results. So you can support the show privately just by hitting the subscribe. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. And I will see you on our regular schedule next Monday. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and you have a fabulous weekend. See you next Monday.